Hi there, I'm Pastor Billy. There are a lot of ways to engage with us, but I wanted to take a moment today to thank you for listening here on the Harrisonburg Nazarene Church Podcast. Also, you can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. For more about the church, please check out our website, abeaconofhope.org. That's abeaconofhope.org. You can also catch us live on Facebook each Sunday morning at 9 and 10.30 a.m. This is part four of our series that we're calling Jesus and My World Through His Eyes. And it's based on, uh, largely on the 1 Corinthians 2 text where the Apostle Paul is comparing kind of the spirit-led person and the natural person. And he says in that text, but we have the mind of Christ. And so today uh, we're on part four and this is the mind of Christ as it relates to my sin. That's where we're going. We're going to be in John 8, verse 1. John 8, verse 1. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Let's just stop there for a minute with her standing before her accusers. What if you were in that position? It's a fair question. What if you were there standing caught in a prominent sin? I I was thinking of myself, what it would be like to have been caught in the act of sin and now publicly in front of a group of accusers, people I know. You can bet she wants to be anywhere but there. She wants to crawl away, to ball up in the fetal position, to slink back into her sin. She wants to escape, escape from where she is, escape from her life, escape from the way they looked at her. Sin exposed. So what if you're standing there? Really, before we get into the mind of Christ on sin, We need to focus on where you stand on your sin. Now, maybe your sin is completely in your past by the glory of God, and you have surrendered it all. Maybe that's you. Maybe you have one big, giant sin in your past. It's big. You know it's big. People around you would know it's big if they knew about it, and it haunts you. It's always there, and it won't let you go. Maybe your sin is pain and guilt over just pure repetition. You have been at it for so long. You have sinned and regretted it and apologized and sinned and regretted it and apologized a hundred, a thousand times. And you're in a place where you're tempted to believe at this point where the frequency of your sin disqualifies you. Just the sheer volume of it. Then there's a group of people for, if you're honest, you've just become just comfortable with sin. The line between light and darkness is blurred, and you really don't want it to be this way, but it is. It's like a stray cat that showed up at the door and you just keep feeding it and feeding it. And it becomes a 
pet sin. That's one metaphor. Maybe this is another one. Hey, Kat. Jesus. Oh, it's been a long time. Yeah, um, I didn't expect to see you here. Whoa, what's that smell? Smell? Oh, um, well, that's my trash. I just, I'm a little embarrassed about it. Oh, well, is that why you've been avoiding me? Avoiding you? I, I, I haven't really been avoiding you. I just, you know, I don't, I don't want to get close to you. I mean, I, I just, I don't want you to smell it. I'll take it, Kat. Come oh, on. Oh, no, 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 no. That's okay. I mean, I made it. It's my trash. You know, I should carry it. It's, it's okay. Yeah, but Kat, I mean, this is my job. Right. I take people's trash. That's what I do, so... Right, okay. Well, maybe I could go and just clean it up a little bit, you know? And then I'll just, I'll come back. No, Kat, I don't need you to do that. Um... Okay? I'll take it from you so you don't have to carry the weight. Oh, well, I... Come on. Uh, just, uh, just hand it over. Uh, all, right? all right? Let go. Let go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's that feel? Weird. Wow. That is crazy. Right. Just loosen it up a Whoa, little bit. check that out. I don't know if I've ever moved like that before. Well, I mean, that is crazy. I just, I feel so free and alive. I, it's I mean, the lack of trash. Wow, I mean, it's just like, this is the craziest feeling I have ever had. I just, it's like something's missing, you know? Well, I, I just, Get um, used I, to feeling free, because that's yeah. what you are now. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, what okay. are you doing? I just, I gotta get one thing, okay? Hold on just a minute Get here. one thing? No, 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 don't open the bag! Jesus, thank you so much for your sacrifice. I really appreciate all that you've done for me. What's going on here, Kat? What? Look, I'll take the trash, but you need to put that back. Oh, um, no, actually, um, that's okay. This is mine. It's my piece. I want to keep it. No, it goes right back in the bag, so I'll help you. Here, no, 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 put no, no. it here. No, Jesus, I, I need to remind myself not to make more trash. I mean, that just Kathleen, makes sense. I will remind you not to make more trash, oh, okay? Oh, well, Jesus, you know... That's what I do. I mean, we'll walk together. I know, but I should be in a better place than this by now. I mean, I just... I'm constantly doing things wrong, you know, and I, I'm just, I'm constantly letting you down. No, the only thing that's letting me down is, is, is you taking the stuff back. Okay. Look, I took care of the trash before you even created it. Oh. Look, don't you see what's happening? Every time I take your trash away, you come back and, and take another piece. And the more pieces you carry around, the more trash you attract. It reeks. Cat. When I look at you, I don't see your sin. I see you, the real you, the free you. This is what I'm fighting for. This is what I died for. Jesus, I'm sorry. I just, please forgive me. I've already forgiven you. The question is, will you forgive yourself? So I wonder about the adulterous woman. What would she say? Maybe she'd say, look, an adulterer is who I am. Illicit sex is what I do. I'm not going to be free. I'll never be free. I don't deserve to be free. And maybe, maybe today, as a matter of fact, is my last day on earth. Sure looks that way. What about you and your sin? Now, you've come to the right place because we're Nazarenes. We are in the holiness tradition and believe biblically that there is freedom from sin, from the sin nature that Jesus on the cross bought freedom. You don't have to succumb to a life lugging around the trash. 
In fact, when people say to us, I sin in word, thought, and deed every day, our response is, but why? Why would you subject yourself to slavery when you can be free? But we also know about the battle that we face. We're not blind to it, and so this morning we address it head on. Sin. You're struggling with sin in any category. The question on the table is, what is the mind of Christ concerning your sin? John 8, 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. And maybe her knees buckled at that point. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger, which is curious. Verse 7, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Do you notice what he didn't do? He says, let any of you without sin be the first to throw in a stone at her. And he stooped down and wrote on the ground. You know what he didn't do? He didn't retreat so he wouldn't be hit by the barrage of stones that some might have thought were coming. No, he, he stayed right where he was. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. That's an interesting detail. Maybe the older ones of us are more quickly familiar with our sins. Until only Jesus, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Are you seeing what John is doing in including the detail in this narrative? He makes it clear that Jesus is the only one left. He says, only Jesus. He makes that clear to us. Has no one condemned you? Well, isn't it obvious? Just you and me. But I think there's an important reason that John wants to make sure we know he asked that question. Because I think he asked that question as much for our benefit as for hers. What's the mind of Christ on sin? The only righteous one, the only person who could have rightfully stoned this woman is the one standing right with her now. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. And that's it. No long speeches, no stern rebuke, no pulling out the book of Leviticus. It is go and leave your life of sin. Just like that. So I wonder, what do you think he wrote on the ground? Great mystery. 
lots of speculation. I've heard a lot of it. I heard that he wrote down all the sins of the ones who were accusing her. I've heard that one. I heard in the temple tradition, you would write the name of the accused in the sand on the temple floor so it could be symbolically wiped away. I've heard that one. I've heard the list of names next to sins. I've heard a lot of things. But we don't know what he wrote on the ground, but we know he wrote something. And I think that's important, especially knowing the theme of this series. Because that detail that John gives us twice forces us to wonder. Maybe it forces us to wonder more than any other story about Jesus. Forces us to wonder, what is he thinking? When you get that narrative of what he's writing in the ground, if you're reading the story, you're forced to think, what's he thinking? Now, if he did what he was thinking, then we know what he was thinking. Maybe he wrote Psalm 45 in the ground, for the Lord is great in compassion and rich in mercy, slow to anger. Maybe that's what he wrote. But if he wrote what he did, maybe he just wrote one word. Mercy. Mercy. Here's a woman caught in adultery. They had her. And she goes free. Go and leave your life of sin. Maybe that's what he wrote. Because that's what he did. And that matters because every single person in this room has been where she stood. Between Jesus and an accuser. It matters to us. Our lives depend on this wonderful, confusing, glorious, irrational power of the nature of God that's found in the idea of mercy. As a way to think about it, I'm going to suggest two truths and a lie as it relates to mercy. Two truths and a lie as a way to think about mercy, especially in light of the story of the adulterous woman. So truth number one, I'll have two truths and then the lie, and with each, I'll present text for you, some of which I'll walk through, others I won't in the interest of time, but you have pens and notebooks and you versions and can take note of that. So truth number one, you deserve judgment and destruction for your sin. That is a fact. Your sin bought you the pain of punishment just like it bought her. And the problem is, we are so transfixed on justice. We want what's coming to us. We want our fair share. We want what's right. And the problem is, when it comes to our sin, when you want justice, you want destruction. But it's like we have this spiritual autoimmune disease where our desire for fairness keeps us from even accepting mercy because we know we don't deserve it. We know we don't. If your thought is, I can't be forgiven, 
or I can't have mercy, or I can't receive mercy, or God doesn't have mercy for me. You have two fundamental problems in your thinking. One, you don't understand the nature of God, and two, you don't know what the definition of mercy is. Mercy can't be deserved. It won't be deserved. Here's the beauty of it. If you are in Christ, you don't get what you deserved. He got what you deserved. The pain and the punishment and the torment of a billion sins, including yours, on the cross. So you kind of have to wipe this idea of what I deserve out of your mind. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He bore your sin. He took what you deserved. Psalm 103, and you should have Psalm 103 memorized, noted, highlighted, because the next time the enemy comes to you, you better have Psalm 103 ready. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Mercy. Wonderful. Confusing. Crazy. Glorious. Strange. It doesn't seem to always make sense. Maybe like this. anybody there? I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, and... thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes? Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madam, you know, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you.
don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. It might be easier for me to think about something like that because my life is a reflection of the mercy of God. Before the first service, Pastor Roger came over and we were praying together and Pastor Roger was praying and he, he said, you know, maybe with people like you and me, when we get to heaven, the Lord will show us a room and pull back a curtain and we'll get a glimpse of what our life would have been like if he hadn't intervened. My life is nothing but the mercy of God. Everywhere I look, getting what I certainly didn't deserve. My life is an ocean of undeserved favor, of tenderness where I deserve scorn. Maybe, maybe that's why it connects with me. All right, number two. First truth was, yeah, you deserve it. And he paid it. Second truth, there is an accuser. In fact, the devil's name in Greek, diabolos, means false accuser. But here's the beauty of it. Yeah, he's the accuser, and he can be a voice telling you just how pitiful you are. But he's also a liar. Jesus said, in fact, John 8, 44, Jesus said, yeah, the devil speaks his native tongue lying. He's been a liar from the beginning. Yeah, you have an accuser, and he's a liar. So who will you believe? You know, I, I was a liar. I've told you this. If, if you know me, you know that um, my big sin of choice was lying. I learned how to lie at a young age and lied well and lied often, lied for no reason. Twelve or thirteen years after I committed my life to Jesus, I was still lying. Let me add one more thing. I was a pastor, and I was still lying. And so the enemy comes to me and says, what a hypocrite. You're a liar. That's all you will ever be. Want proof? I have records. Now, I guess I had a choice. I could have believed the accuser, who himself is a liar, and said, you're right, I'll never be free of this. I might as well just understand that's who I am. Because he did have evidence. What's more important, the evidence he has or the promise Jesus had? Look at it pragmatically. What would have been the right decision back then? I've long since been free of the tremendous grip of needing to lie, but what if, what if back then, what if it was 1993, what if I had have, have reasoned, well, it has been a long time, I guess there's no hope. He comes to you with that stuff all the time. What if you believe him? What if you believe your accuser, the liar, 
Believing him gives him power he doesn't need. He is the accuser. But here's some really good news. 1 John 2, 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You know, in this grand courtroom that you sometimes put yourself in, yeah, Satan is the prosecuting attorney. You know who your defense attorney is? Jesus. He's your advocate in that argument. Jesus, the righteous one. Don't give your accuser two seconds to entertain what he wants you to believe about yourself. That brings us to the lie. Two truths and a lie. First truth, yep, yeah, you're guilty and you deserve sin. Second, there is an accuser, just like with the adulterous woman. There is an accuser. Here's the lie. Your sin is just too much for Jesus. He can't handle it. Either too much because you've committed it too often or too much because it's too big, but your sin is too much. You're different. You're different than other people. Your sin is worse. They all deserve mercy, but not you. Because your sin is more frequent, your sin is bigger, Uh, you're the only one who fakes it. You're the only one who's not transparent. You're the only one who doesn't want someone. Everybody else is honest and upright except you. Everybody else's sin is okay. Yours is worse. I remember I grew up a Catholic, nominal Catholic, and I I don't mean to be critical of the Catholic Church, but, you, you know, in the Catholic Church, you have to go to confession. You go in the booth, and the guy slides the thing, and you say, Forgive me, Father, I've sinned. It's been so many days since my last confession. And what they taught me when I was a kid is you have to give numbers of sins. You have to say, I did this so many times. Well, you know, they said, give a number. So I said, I lied, and I remember saying 700 times. And that was probably low. (laughs) You know who probably thought that their sin was the greatest? Jesus' best friend. Jesus' best friend. You remember when Jesus was being tried and accused and beaten and tortured? You know where Peter was? Remember where Peter was? Peter was slinking back, denying that he even, denying that he even knew Jesus. The Bible says in one version, Peter was around a group and they said, no, you're with, you're with him, you know him. And the Bible said he cursed And he said, I tell you, I don't know the man. And one uh, version of the Bible, I think it's in Luke, says, and Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. Beat that. If it's possible that a sin could rattle the walls of heaven, and it can't, if it's possible, that one would. Betraying your best friend who's Savior of the world. Beat that. I don't know what Peter thought, but I know what Jesus did, and I know what Jesus didn't do. After Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't hunt Peter down. He didn't give him a stern lecture. He didn't promise the gates of hell are waiting for him. You know what Jesus did in response to Peter's great sin? He made him breakfast. Look it up, John 21. 
The guys were out fishing. Jesus is on the shore. Twist of irony, Jesus says, he makes them catch a lot of fish, and then he says, bring some of the fish you have caught, as if they had anything to do with it. And he's already making breakfast on the shore. He's already got fish in the pan. And Peter recognizes him and jumps out of the boat. That's Jesus' response. There's not a lecture, there's not a law, there is mercy. Mercy. Now maybe you're a little worried about this message. I did think about it. I did pray about it. Maybe it feels soft on sin, especially for holiness church. You can't get away from Jesus' reaction to that accusation. There were some people who said, essentially, your Savior, your Messiah is soft on sin. There was at one point where the scribes and Pharisees are gathering and they say, this man eats with tax collectors and sinners. Essentially, the accusation was, he's soft on sin. Kind of like a politician today being accused of being soft on crime. He's soft. You know what Jesus did in response? He didn't pull out the Torah. He told them a story. He told them three stories, actually. And one was a story about this boy, this selfish, sniveling boy who wanted it all. And he goes to his father, and he breaks his father's heart, and he says, I want the money. I'm going out on my own. And he goes out on my own, and you know exactly how it ended up. He smells like pig slop, and he's infected with sin. And Jesus tells that story in response to the accusation that he eats with sinners. And Jesus has this father of this boy not scorning the boy, not disowning the boy, not disinheriting the boy. He has this father scanning the horizon for any sign of this pigsty-flavored little kid. And when he sees him, he runs to him. Mercy. Mercy. You know, I love Spurgeon. I, I just, I'm a fan of Spurgeon, and I love what he wrote. Meditate a little on this mercy of the Lord. It is tender mercy with gentle, loving touch. He heals the broken in heart and binds up their wounds. That's you. He is as gracious in the manner of his mercy as in the matter of it. It is great mercy. There is nothing little in God. His mercy is like himself. It is infinite. You cannot measure it. His mercy is so great that it forgives great sins to great sinners after great lengths of time and then gives great favors and great privileges and raises us up to great enjoyments in the great heaven of the great God. It is undeserved mercy, as indeed all true mercy must be, for deserved mercy is only a misnomer for justice. It is rich mercy. Some things are great but have little efficacy in them, but this mercy is friendly to your sad spirit. A golden ointment to your bleeding wounds a heavenly bandage to your broken bones, 
a royal chariot for your weary feet, a shoulder of love for your trembling heart. It is unfailing mercy. It will never leave you. If mercy is your friend, mercy will be with you in temptation to keep you from yielding, with you in trouble to prevent you from sinking, with you living to be your light and life, and with you dying to be the joy of your soul when earthly comfort is ebbing fast. That's the mind of Christ on sin. Here's your offer this morning. Mercy. Haley, would you come? Wherever you are. I think the Lord has a word for you uh, this morning beyond what I've spoken. And it's in this song that Haley's going to share with you. I'd like you to consider this as a word from the Lord and cherish it in your heart. And then we'll pray. Thank you again for listening here today. If you have any questions at all, feel free to reach out to us at info at beaconofhope.org. That's info at beaconofhope.org. If you happen to be in the Harrisonburg, Virginia area, we'd love for you to join us at 1871 Boyers Road in Rockingham, Virginia. We meet every Sunday morning at 9 and 10.30 a.m. in English and then at 11.45 in Spanish. Celebrate Recovery also meets here each and every week, Monday nights at 6 p.m. If you enjoyed the podcast today, please be sure to subscribe in order to get updates and new episodes. 